This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our aim is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my purpose, as always, is education. Hello, class. How's everybody today? This is actually, I think, the third re-recording of my very first episode. And if you're familiar at all with podcasts or the world of podcasting, you might know that most people's first podcast usually sounds like shit. So that's why I decided to do this again. Now that I have much better equipment and I actually found some more information on this case that I didn't have the first time I did it. So it should be better all the way around. Everybody ready? Survey question. Have you ever driven drunk? Go ahead, raise your hand. I can't see you. What about like high on drugs? Have you ever maybe smoked some weed and drove? What would you do if you were driving impaired and hit somebody? A person, I mean, not like a deer or something. Would you stop and help them? Or would you panic and drive away, hoping that nobody saw you? What would you do if you hit a person and they got stuck in your windshield? Well, that's exactly what happened to Shantae Mallard of Fort Worth, Texas in October 2001. Shantae Mallard was 26 years old on the night of October 26th. She lived in a house in Fort Worth, Texas and she worked as a nurse's assistant at one of those assistant living homes, you know, the ones that take care of old people. She was one of three kids born to Dorothy and James, the only girl, and she came from what was supposedly a proper, hardworking, middle-class family. She dropped out of college after a year, and she developed a habit of smoking weed, and soon she would just sit around and get high all day long, and she went through a total of 13 jobs before this incident happened in October 2001. So one Friday night, she finished her shift at the assistant living home, and it was girls' night out. She drove over to the apartment of her best friend, Talisi Fry, who goes by T. So that's going to be her name here from now on. They had some drinks, a little weed, and reportedly shared an ecstasy pill. Now, I've never taken ecstasy. I don't know what it's like. But according to the internet, it's a psychoactive drug that can induce hallucinations and changes in time and perception, which doesn't sound very pleasant to me. So, Shantae and T drive to a dance club called Joe's Big Bamboo Club, which is in Arlington, Texas, about 15 minutes away. At the club, they danced, drank some more, maybe had a little more substances. They supposedly left there about 2.30 a.m., and supposedly Shantae got into her car to drive away, and he saw the way she was driving, and she's like, no, you're not driving like that. Come back with me to my apartment. 
So I'm not real clear of how they got to T's apartment. Maybe Shantae took her own car there. T followed her. I don't know, but they do end up at T's apartment. And Shantae would later say that she felt, quote, loose and out of control. So they go to T's apartment for a while. T wanted Shantae to stay for the night, but Shantae's like, no, I want to go home. So about three o'clock in the morning, she got in her gold Chevrolet Cavalier and headed home. Now she's on Route 287, which is a six-lane highway. The speed limit on that is 60. Suddenly, she hit a man who was walking on the side of the highway. She would later tell the police, quote, I think when I was coming around the bend from Loop 820 before the Village Creek exit, all of a sudden, bam, he was just there. I realized it was a person I had hit, and he had come through the front windshield. I was scared and terrified, and the car didn't even slow down. He was on my car and stuck through the right front windshield. I parked my car in the garage, and I put the door down. I wanted to take him to the hospital, but I was too scared, end quote. Now, a couple things about that. What does she mean the car didn't slow down? She was driving, so she means she didn't slow down. And she has the nerve to say she was scared and terrified. Those are her exact words. Can you imagine the poor dude in her windshield Talk about scared and terrified. And I personally bet that she was going faster than 60 miles an hour for the force to lodge him as hard. Think about how hard a windshield is. And he was totally impaled half in and half out of the windshield. He was on the side of the road and she's supposed to be on the highway. So obviously somebody wasn't where they were supposed to be, and my money is on her because we already know that she has substances in her. So she tells the police that she stopped her car on the highway at this Martin Village Creek area and, quote, tried to get him out, but he was too heavy. And at some later point, she said that she touched his leg and he moaned. Later, during her trial, The prosecution reported that after she hit him, she passed nine pay phones, and it was only six miles to John Peter Smith Hospital and seven-tenths of a mile to the nearest fire station. These are all places that she could have gone to for help. Remember, this is 2001. Not everybody has cell phones, but they did do the research of how many pay phones she passed and how many places she could have stopped had she wanted to. Keyword, wanted to. So she gets home, and she calls T. She's crying, and she's like, come over. So T would later say in court that when she got to Shantae's house, Shantae runs out to her crying, and she goes, quote, I hit a white guy. I didn't mean to do it, end quote. So they drove around for an hour, looking for Shantae's ex-boyfriend, and they can't find him, so they go back to Shantae's house. And T says, quote, I ran back into the garage and said, you need to do something. Call 911. Shantae refused for whatever reason. They had an argument, 
And he said something to the effect of, I'm leaving. I don't want anything to do with this at all. So she left. Supposedly, they go back to T's and T's car because Shantae's car has a dude in it and they go to sleep. The next day, Shantae borrows T's car and drives around looking for this ex-boyfriend named Cletus Jackson. She finally finds him at his grandmother's and she's like, please come back to my house. You know, I've got this problem that I need your help with. And he's like, what's up? And she said that she, quote, messed up real bad. So they go to her garage and Cletus sees the dude in the windshield and his head's inside the car. His legs are sticking out. And I imagine he was like, what the fuck? So he picks up a rake and like pokes the guy with it. But he's dead by now, unfortunately. So they're pondering what they should do. And Cletus says that they should put his body somewhere where it will be found so that his family can bury him. Isn't that thoughtful? But he couldn't do this by himself. So he enlists the help of his cousin, Herbert Cleveland. So old Herbert comes over and the three of them wrap up this poor dude in a blanket and put him in the trunk of one of their cars. Then they drive to nearby Cobb Park where they dump him on the grass. Then they go to a car wash where they cleaned the car and threw away the blankets. Another bizarre thing they did, I don't understand the thought process here, but they left her car at the park with the body and set it on fire. Again, we're not talking about the three sharpest knives in the drawer here, if you know what I mean. So the next day, October 27th, two men are walking in the park and they happen upon this body and... Just as an interesting aside, this Cobb Park has a reputation as being not really a family-friendly park, if you know what I mean. So the two guys go to a nearby fire station, and they meet firefighter Todd Breedlove, and they tell him that there was, quote, someone who looked dead in Cobb Park. So Todd, the firefighter, goes to the park, verifies that, yeah, there's a dead guy here, and calls 911. Fort Worth police come. And Officer Brad Patterson later said he noticed that the victim was missing shoes and socks and that the condition of his body suggested to him that he'd been struck by a vehicle. There's no blood at the scene, which obviously indicated that he'd been hit somewhere else and then dumped in the park. The victim was soon identified as 37-year-old Gregory Biggs, who had been staying at a local homeless shelter after losing his truck, which he needed for his bricklaying job. Greg was born in 1964 in Texas to Dale and Meredith Biggs, and he married Tammy in 1982, and they had a son, Brandon, in 1983. In 1984, he, sh he started to show symptoms of mental illness, and he was later diagnosed as bipolar and schizophrenic. So he had some problems with his wife. They got divorced. And he just kind of wandered from shelter to shelter. But he was always a good dad. He always kept in touch with Brandon and saw him when he could. In fact, he just called Brandon a few days before he was killed just to check in. And he was described as handsome, hardworking, friendly, and caring. He liked to spend time with his son. And he dreamed of starting his own masonry business. 
but sadly his encounter with a reckless and heartless driver would end that dream as well as any others he had. In the meantime, Shantae eventually lost her job due to the fact that she didn't have a car. I wonder why. And she moved in with T until January of 2002 when she found another job and she was able to move back into her own house. Now, you know how if a crime involves more than one person, chances are somebody is going to run their mouth and that's usually how they get caught. Well, surprisingly in this case, Shantae herself would run her own mouth and sink her own ship, so to speak. It was like mid-February 2002, and she was at a gathering, and there was drinking and probably some weed smoking going on. You know how she likes her substances. So she started getting talkative and running her mouth, as one does. Somehow the topic of her not having a car came up, and she laughed and said that she, quote, hit a white guy while high on ecstasy, end quote, and added that she left him in her garage while she had sex with her boyfriend. This little tidbit is not true. I don't know why she said that, but can you believe this? She laughed about it and was bragging about it. Now, this is why I find this crime so reprehensible, because I think we can all identify with the fact that you're driving and you make some kind of mistake, like an honest, I don't know, what little traffic violation or something. But what's so disgusting about this is that she not only left him to die, but that she later laughed and bragged about it like this was hilarious. But fortunately, somebody at the party heard this remark and was bothered about it, as you should be. And the next day, she was talking to her mother, and she repeated what she heard Shantae say. And her mom's like, oh, you have to tell the police. So fortunately, this woman did call the police. And on February 26th, 12 cops showed up at Shantae's house with a search warrant. And what I imagine is Shantae opens the door, and she sees like a police convention on her doorstep. And she's probably like, oh, shit. So she started to cry. And she said, quote, I'm not a bad person. It was just an accident. It happened so fast. I've never even had a speeding ticket, end quote. You cannot imagine how many times I've had people that I've had on probation say, I'm not a criminal or I'm not a bad person. So the officers find her garage. It still has bloodstains all over it. So it wasn't too big of a mystery. And she was later taken to the Fort Worth Police Department she gave a statement. She was arraigned and charged with failing to stop and render aid, which is a felony in Texas. She was released on bond until March 6th, when she was rearrested, and this time she was charged with murder. In the meantime, the police had talked to the Tarrant County Medical Examiner, who said that Greg could have survived in the windshield for up to two hours, and that if she had gotten him medical attention, he would have most likely survived. So it was this that made them think this is a murder. On April 25th of 2002, she was indicted for murder and tampering with evidence because of the burning of the car. On September 12th, Herbert Cleveland, remember this is one of the uh, helpers in this incident, pled guilty to tampering with evidence and he was sentenced to nine years in a plea agreement in which he agreed to testify against Shantae at her trial. And on January 8th, 2003, Cletus Jackson, 
his cousin and the other helper, got himself the same deal, only he got 10 years instead of nine. I'm not sure why. The only thing I can think of is that maybe he had a longer criminal history or something that would have resulted in him getting a longer sentence. So Shantae pled guilty to tampering with evidence, but not guilty to murder. And she went to trial starting in June 2003. The jury was shown pictures of Greg's twisted, bruised, and bloodied body laying in the grass where he was found. And Shantae looked down like, you know, she was ashamed of herself, which she should have been. So Tarrant County Medical Examiner Dr. Kirwani testified that it probably took about two hours for Greg to die. And he gave his cause of death as, quote, near total amputation of his left leg, multiple traumatic injuries sustained in an auto-pedestrian collision, end quote. Unusually, Shantae took the stand in her own defense. And she said, quote, when I hit him, it was a very loud noise. All this glass started flying in the car, followed by a lot of wind, and the glass was just cutting at my skin, stinging me, end quote. She claimed that she stopped along the highway to poke him with something. I don't know what. I don't know what she was trying to do. And then she said that she panicked. And she said she knows he was alive because he moaned when she poked him. And she said, quote, I didn't know what to do. I started screaming. I just started yelling, end quote. She said when she got home and they were in the garage that she kept apologizing to Greg, who's of course, stuck in her windshield. And this poor dude is dying in her windshield. And she's standing there going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's probably like, bitch, shut the fuck up and get me an ambulance, which of course she never does. So her attorney said that, quote, what she did is horrible, but I disagree with the DA that she is not a horrible person. Please don't destroy another life. Please give her a chance to prove she can do something good, end quote. The prosecution, of course, saw things a little differently, and ADA Richard Elpert said in his closing argument, quote, she stole his life. She stole his hopes of anyone else saving his life. That's murder, end quote. I like that quote because it's like, okay, maybe she didn't mean to hit him, it was an accident, but by locking him in her garage, she pretty much removed any chances of anybody else being able to see him and help him. So I think that that's like the crux of the case, that she shut him away when he could have been helped, he could have lived. And she was like, no, I'm out to save my own ass and screw you there in the windshield. And ADA Christy Jack said, quote, she could have saved him. Doesn't that speak volumes about her character? Doesn't that speak volumes about the atrocity of this crime? End quote. And Shantae said that her mind had been too muddled by fear and drugs to call for help, and she couldn't think to do the right thing. So on June 26, the jury started deliberating. They deliberated for all of an hour. And anybody who's familiar with crime or trials, etc., you know what it means when they only take a short time to deliberate. And can you guess what they found? If you guess guilty, you're right. She was sentenced to 50 years for murder and 10 years for failure to stop and render aid to be served concurrently, which means 
like at the same time. And it was reported that she, quote, tightly shut her eyes and cried, end quote. And she addressed the court sobbing, quote, I am so truly sorry. I am so sorry, Brandon. I am sorry for what I have caused your family, and I am sorry for the pain I have put my family through. I'm so sorry for the crime I have done to society. I really am very sorry, end quote. She admitted that she had consumed alcohol, weed, and ecstasy at the time of the crime and thought that she deserved prison, quote, because I have ruined the lives of other people, I have ruined my family's life and put people through pain, end quote. And she also thought that she needed drug treatment. Brandon, the victim's son, said, what a good dude this kid is. He said that he forgave Shantae. And he said, quote, tragic as it was, it helped bring people together. So that's positive, end quote. He said he remembered getting the call that his dad had died on October 31st. He was only a senior in high school then. And that's such a tragedy to be that young and lose a parent in such a violent way. And he was the one who had to make the funeral arrangements. He described his dad as a remarkably good man, considering all the stuff that he dealt with personally. Brandon's now married with three kids and manages a hardware store. He later filed a wrongful death suit against Chante, which was settled out of court. And sadly, his mother died in 2017. Chante is serving her sentence in Gatesville, Texas. She has a projected release date of March 3rd, 2052. She will be eligible for parole in 2027. She's currently 46 and has reportedly renewed her faith in God in prison, as many incarcerated people do. Now, if they, now, if this case sounds familiar to you, that's because a couple TV shows and a movie were made about it. It was adapted in an episode of CSI called Anatomy of a Lie, L-Y-E, which aired in May 2002. And it was also featured on an episode of Law and Order called Darwinian in 2004. But most famously, it was the basis for a 2007 movie called Stuck, which starred Mina Suvari as the character that's supposed to be Shantae. I did watch this movie. It's pretty good, so I recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's directed by Stuart Gordon. I think it follows the story pretty close up to a point. It starts out showing Mina Suvari as who we know is supposed to be Shantae, and she's working as a nursing assistant with these old people, and later that night she goes to a dance club, and she runs into, I guess it's supposed to be her boyfriend, and he pops a white pill into her mouth. I guess that's supposed to be ecstasy. And then it shows her drive off in her car and almost hit somebody twice just to drive home, no pun intended, the point that maybe she shouldn't be driving. So she gets out her cell phone and she's dialing her boyfriend who she literally just saw. I don't know why she has to call him again. And it's when she looks down at the phone and takes her eyes off the road that she hits this actor who's playing the victim. He gets stuck in the windshield, and she panics and screams and carries on, just like Shantae supposedly did. She goes home and parks the car in her garage. She shuts the door, and there's quite an interesting scene where he's laying, like his head is on the front passenger seat, 
and his head's turned and he's looking at her who's standing outside of the car and they're like staring at each other. And it made me think, did Shantae and Greg look at each other? She said she kept apologizing to him. Did they have any kind of conversation or any kind of an interaction? And I think if you're her, once you've seen him, like seen his face and hear him talk or talk to him, he becomes more real to you. So that makes it even worse when you callously leave him to die in your windshield. And I won't tell you how it ends in case you want to see it. So here's your homework. Don't drive drunk or text and drive. If you hit somebody or get in an accident, stop and call for help. This episode is dedicated to Greg Biggs. Class dismissed. <laughs>